Hello and welcome to Brainy Podcast. I'm Saraya Shaw and my co-partner in crime of creativity is Tracy Fuller. And we connected by our passion for understanding what makes people tick, looking at creativity and innovation, and with a wonderful mix of neuroscience thrown in. Already, I suppose it's worth saying, because we're episode five, so far we've looked at what is creativity, who has creativity, why it's important to us now. So looking at our creative brain versus what technology is offering us. And in the last episode, it was how creativity shows up in us, what sparks that creativity. And it makes sense that, you know, evolution wise, that we're now moving into what happens when it gets stifled, when it gets stuck when it stops being there for us? What's going on there? It's really interesting. I was doing some research for this podcast because schools don't teach creativity anymore. And we've heard a lot over all the episodes about how people's creativity or the belief in their own creativity has been blocked by their early days at school. You know, don't daydream, don't don't do drawings. Oh, you can't do that. You can't do this. So we kind of believe that we can't do it. But there is a new paper that's just been written I think there are 66 countries that are going to be participating in this and it's called the PISA 2022 creative thinking test which they're putting into schools the UK hasn't signed up yet as far as I know but basically the world is changing so fast that we need creativity to actually contribute to the development of society so people need to learn effective thinking skills problem generation evaluation, improvement of ideas, just all the things that our world needs for the future. And what they're saying is that it hasn't been taught in schools and it needs to come back into schools so people can be learn how to be critical thinkers for the future. Interesting. One of the leadership qualities that I often see in a competency framework is decision-making capability. And if we don't have the ability to evaluate and to create and come up with different ways of looking at things, how on earth can we have good judgment? I found a great quote about one of Elon Musk's board members who said, no one comes up with a good idea whilst being chased by a tiger. (laughs) which I thought summed it up absolutely perfectly. Because if your brain is in fear mode, you can't do anything. It just shuts down. And I'll talk about that a bit later. But what I'd like you all to do is I'd like you to just sit very quietly. I'd like you to close your eyes, knowing that you're safe, you're in a safe environment. Be very still and just slowly breathe in and then breathe out. And as you calmly just focus on your breathing, think about what can you hear? What are you sensing? Is there anything you can smell? What's actually happening this minute in your head, in your brain, in your mind's eye? What are you thinking And what are you saying to yourself? So if you think about that, if you now come back in and just collect your thoughts about what was happening, that's actually what's going on in your brain. Your brain is sitting up there in your head in a black space. It can only see, feel, hear, know what's coming in through the senses. It has no idea about what's going on which is why our brains are always adapting and they're everything that we 
do is subjectively predicting. It's a prediction machine, basically. And it's exquisitely social. And our emotions are its fundamental language. So your brain is sitting there making decisions based on its emotions, because emotions come first, and what it can predict, because it doesn't know anything else. And we mentioned patterns, I think it was in our second episode. So the brain is always trying to make patterns and sense out of all the feelings, smells, associations that are coming in. And what's important here is the way that you direct your brain is what you get. So when it comes to creativity, if you actually say, I can't do it, then you won't be able to do it. It's very simple because your brain is trying to save energy. Your brain takes up 20% of the body's um, energy per day. So it's essentially lazy, you could say, because it'll find a brain pathway, a neuronal pathway that's already already there to put thinking down because then it doesn't have to spend any energy making new connections and creating a new network. And I, I thought that it was lovely that we should remember that if people are in a, a climate of fear, things like bullying, whether you're part of the in-out group, subtle put-downs, a blame environment and culture, or leaders who aren't neuro-informed, they don't know about the brain and how to get the best from your brain, then actually your brain is shutting down because it's preserving its energy just to keep it safe. And I thought this was a lovely quote from Barry Wagner, who's a circus ring director, and he said, leadership is the safety net for the staff who are the trapeze artists. And so I think so much, as you and I know, Tracy, so much comes from the environment and the people around you. We know leadership is is changing drastically, drastically. But it is about if you're in a psychosocial environment where it's not a blame culture, it's a learning culture, and that you feel that you're, you've got good, strong relationships around you, then actually people are thriving and your brain is then open to ideas and innovation. It's not shutting itself down in case you need fight or flight, which we all know about, or faint, actually, is another one. There's already quite a lot going on then, isn't there? Uh, Yes, you could say that. So you add into that the pressure of peers, the pressure of time, the being put on the spot for what do you think. There's already noise being picked up from fingertips to toes. Mm. The brain is, is, is picking all of that up, and then we overload it with a pressure point of now process yeah. all that right now yeah which no wonder people can't do it no wonder people are frazzled and burnt out there was a bit of research that suggested that most people at work are only using focusing with 70 percent of their brain the 30 percent of their brain is disengaged because it is involved in politics or uh, as you say noise or i don't belong here or no one seems to value what I'm doing. So you people aren't actually using the whole capacity that they have. So businesses, they reckon, are losing a third of the latent brain power that they actually have around them that's just not being used properly. And it's that brain power that's associated with innovation, creativity, and making sound decisions. So companies are already losing a great deal just because of lack of ignorance, really, not knowing how to, to put the best environment in place feels like we've got lots of quotes going on here because i've got tony robbins in my head um, where focus goes energy flows yep it's quite right but what they found as well is that if conversely 
if you are in an environment of trust, where you've got friendships, good relationships, and you feel valued and you feel seen, there's 74% less stress. There's 106% more energy at work. There's 50% higher productivity, 12% fewer sick days, and 40% less burnout. And this is from Paul Zak, who's a, a very famous psychologist, from a paper of his, The Neuroscience of Trust. So that's massive, massive, massive improvement. This latent energy and empowerment that's sitting in offices just not being used. When you actually give people that space, McKinsey did a report that said 70% of them had above average shareholder returns. So for the business itself and the customers, they're getting a 70% return, which is pretty good just by being human. Seems like such a simplistic solution. But I guess if we take it down to an individual level and looking at today, we're looking at what blocks our creativity, what's going on as an individual. If we are energy, which we know, and we're choosing where to focus and how to use that energy, and then we come across a situation that causes us to put a big full stop on that or an exclamation mark, what's going on with us then? I know, you know, what what's blocking us? I've got, in my head, I've got things like, Stress is an obvious one because we know we lose peripheral vision and all context when we when we're in a high cortisol state. Time, time is one of my massive triggers actually. Also, you mentioned about limiting beliefs and the stories that we're telling ourselves over and over again. No point me speaking up; nobody listens anyway. No point me saying anything because I might be wrong and yeah. I get shot down. Everything that you're saying there is down to how you direct your brain. The brain is always scanning for danger. We know that because it's looking for that big saber-toothed tiger that might come around the corner. But this is interesting. The brain will attend to negative stimuli 120 milliseconds faster than positive. Now, I can't even think what a millisecond is. It's kind of like, that's it. But it's actually doing it 120 milliseconds faster for negative, which, when you think about it, makes sense. Primary reason we're here is to survive. Then that's got to be what the brain does, is to attend to anything that might put us in danger. But that means that when you're telling yourself you can't do it, or you're uh, you're running out of time, or um, you know you're tired, they're stories to your point that you're telling yourself. And we know that in the brain, you have eustress, which is good stress, and distress. And one of the reasons that people do get stressed is because the brain is always adapting all the time. When it runs out of adaption energy, basically, so at the end of the day, you're really, really tired, it can't adapt anymore. It's it's all it's, it's used up, it's 20%. That's when stress actually occurs. But most of the time, Stress is quite normal in our life. You wouldn't be able to survive without it. It's the vision, it's the picture that you take of stress that matters. It's the story that you tell yourself. So the labels we put on things and direct our brain become very, very important. So the whole psychosafety, being in a social group where you feel secure, actually opens up your creativity and innovation, whereas the opposite shuts it down, and then we get ill mental health and lack of engagement, and ultimately businesses fail and people don't reach their potential. And they have 
increased sick days and so on and so forth. We've mentioned it before, you know, this negative bias that the brain has. Quite scary to put a number on that of 100, just for those that didn't catch that, 120 milliseconds faster than any positive thought can run through your brain. That's scary. And it's no wonder that then alongside that, you've got confirmation bias. Well, I told you, I told you you couldn't do it. And it was something we've talked about actually throughout these episodes is this whole sense of challenging yourself and not limiting yourself. You know, that so often what we're doing is we're giving ourselves reasons why we can't do it. Whereas the moment we start giving ourselves reasons that we can and getting out of our comfort zone, you're creating new pathways in the brain anyway that's making the connections and you change, you grow, you develop. That's that's what we do. We're, we're adapting all the time as human beings. Many, many years ago, you just put me in mind of this story. Many, many years ago, I um, was having to do a big pitch and the the senior team were there. It was quite a big pitch to a big client. It was the first time I presented in front of senior management team as well. I was really nervous about it. My son was about eight at the time and he'd do anything to get out of going to bed on time. I decided to use him as my audience and run through So there he was, this eight-year-old and the cat being talked to um, about why they should be using our services. I said, oh, actually, no, even doing it to you, I'm really nervous. And he said, don't worry, mummy. All you need to do is you need to imagine that in amongst all the people around the table, there's somebody sitting there that loves you. So just imagine us all sitting around the table with all these people And then if they're looking at you really horribly or they're being miserable, just look at one of us. That's lovely. Isn't that gorgeous? So right. What a wise little soul at eight. Yeah, out of the mouth of babes. (laughs) You just want to have somebody there who's your your kind of championing you and making sure that you're, you're loved and feel loved. You forget about things like that that happen in your life. They get packed down in your memory bank. I wonder why we choose not to bring those memories back, the ones that are really helpful and supportive. Uh, It's another thing that we've talked about in these episodes is that whole reflection time. And I think it's very natural for people to always look on the dark side. You know, it's just part of our, maybe it's part of our makeup of of survival. I don't know. But I think, again, then it's practising about, well, what did I do well? So I, I love this whole thought of journaling. Uh, where you write down in your day, you know, for every one thing that went wrong, what three things went right. And I think that's one thing we forget is we have a choice. We really do have a choice in how we can change the way that our mindset works and what we believe. I know my research I did in my master's was looking at resilience amongst a group of business people and getting them to change their mindset towards it. I think the other thing is, why do we need it at the moment? What's going on? You know, I think companies becoming more neuroinformed is absolutely key. You know, we've got this wonderful new technology that's opening up the kind of last mystery of humankind, if you want, for the moment. You know, I'm sure there'll be lots of other things they discover in 100 years' time or whatever. But right now, neuroscience is the real key that's unlocking who we are and as humans, how we can celebrate being humans and being more human, actually. And if companies really want to be serious about being players and being 
people of the companies of the future, they need to be working with people's brains. They need to be creating that environment where if you want an environment where creativity, you know, teams come together and they feel secure and safe to ideate and to innovate is that people need to feel relaxed. They need to feel unthreatened. They need to trust because the the brain then anticipates a, a reward as opposed to a negativity and that, you know, you're, you're feeling less uncertain about the other people around you. Your brain can then see the patterns that it needs to start seeing the different kind of memory formations that there are. When people would talk about, and I do this all the time about, I've got a presentation to write. I've got a blank piece of paper. I don't know what to do. I literally just say, write one word in it and then put it in the drawer. And people look at me like I'm absolutely mad, but What's going to be happening is you've asked your brain the question and we talked about good questions and it will start solving it subconsciously. That's that's its job. And then it will throw it out to you when you need it. And also the hardest part about starting any project or any task is starting. Exactly. Yeah. And the brain goes, oh, OK, all right, we'll just we'll go and do something with it. So really, it is so much about creating an environment where the brain hasn't gone into survival uh, mode it's actually feeling relaxed it's feeling happy so you've got the prefrontal cortex is working all the other networks are working together because the brain is so heavily networked that it, it's doing what it was designed to do let's give some pointers then let's have a think about when people are in that moment of heightened stress for whatever reason yeah. whether they're giving themselves validated thoughts that they can't do something or they're stuck or they can't think straight or all those things that happen. What are the things that we can do to get us out of that? First thing is go for a walk. My, and my clients go through, I'm very busy. I can't go for a walk. And I, and I say, well, actually, if you want to solve something, go for a walk. Otherwise, just sit at your desk and you, you'll never solve it. It never work because you're, you're getting oxygen into the brain. It's getting you out of that environment then the other thing is, you know, there's overall looking after your brain health. So your diet, your exercise, the relationships that you have, you know, don't be with people who drain you. You know, if you if you're with mini Mona, you're going to end up being a mini Mona because that's that's what we do. Uh, so it's about being with people who really inspire you and energize you. But the other thing is visualize. And people think visualize is like, like well, what do you think visualize? When you visualize something, your brain will actually use or is instructing all the muscles in your body that you would use if you were actually doing something. But the great thing with visualizing is that you then prepare the brain for what you want it to do. So, for instance, if I'm going to present or I did a workshop recently on the, the diamond of the brain and I actually asked them to send me a picture of the room I'd be presenting in because I knew otherwise I would worry about what's it going to look like. I don't know where I'm going to. I don't know where everyone's going to sit. But the moment I had a picture, I was like, oh, okay, that's what I'm going to do. That's fine. So there's lots of little things that you can do to prepare yourself. And I think that's the key thing. But when you are, you know, try and take a 20 minute nap a day, because there's so much evidence about how just having a little rest actually recharges you. And people who do that are cognitively, uh, much more effective in the afternoon than other people. They've, they, you've just kind of recharged yourself if you want. And maybe there's also something here around, you know, maybe if you're that stuck, you shouldn't actually be doing it. 
And so often we'll push ourselves to do things, won't we? Oh, I should, I should do that. I should do it. Actually, maybe you shouldn't. Or maybe you need to pick up the phone to somebody and collaborate. Yeah. A better output can be achieved by sharing it, by having somebody else's thought, even if it's an opposing thought. There was some research that was done. What they found was that teams who communicate positively are the most successful by a ratio of five to one. You all know that if you're with people that you really love being with and you talk and you share. So even, you know, when you are in a meeting and you're about to start brainstorming or you need to come up with some ideas, I think one of the places to start is like we do in coaching is contracting, is what do we want to get out of this meeting? How do we need to behave? Even uh, something, if somebody says no, so maybe even asking the question about if you say no, what does that mean for you? What's going on for you that you're actually going to put up a, a no, I'm not going to do this, or no, I don't agree? So you actually get to know each other. So you can champion each other, but at the same time, you're being honest, you're being authentic, you're being who you need to be. I tend to say don't say no. I see that differently. <laughs> yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think no is a hard word. Yeah, I think it, it is. doesn't let that because... brain go danger. That spirals downwards very quickly otherwise into, well, they never want to listen to anybody else's ideas. They're just going to do it their own way anyway. Whereas if you agree with them or just sit in a neutral ground, they're more likely to listen to what else you've you've got up your sleeve or your ideas. A couple of things that you were talking about, I'd love to see the amount of companies that listen to this and go, afternoon naps, you're having a laugh, we don't get lunch breaks. But that just made me think about rest, actually, and why, and just to make the point that it isn't employment law, but the Health and Safety Act that owns holidays and lunch breaks. Yeah. You know, we know that, for example, with lorry drivers, they're on tachograph systems and they are under very enforced guidelines as to when they can be on the road and when they can't with how many hours they've been working. That's my understanding is that it comes under the health and safety regime not just employment law yeah and well-being is don't even get me on well-being because it's i have a a, my own model called sherpa which is about how you actually help people and and well-being is far more than diet and exercise i mean it's all about the brain and and how you look after it and so well-being is um vital for it's not a nice to have anymore at all it's it's part of as you say the the employer's responsibility to look after that person, but also the person to look after themselves and their team and their social network. And I think the only other thing we haven't really talked about, and I haven't gone into detail about areas of the brain and what does which, because we're doing this, we're not we're not visual. I can't show you pictures and take you through. But I think what we must remember is the the neurochemicals that are neurotransmitters that the brain releases. Uh, when somebody says to you, God, that was a nice piece of work. Well done. You get a real burst of oxytocin and serotonin that makes you feel really good. And of course, we know dopamine, which seems like it's the it's the neurochemical of the month or the year. It actually is released before you do something that you want to do. So it's pre. So you get that kind of, oh, gosh, that's, oh, look at that piece of cake. It's gorgeous. So you get dopamine goes off. And then afterwards, you get the guilt. <laughs> With the cake, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> uh, but so many other things, you know, oxytocin is, is they call the love neurochemical. But that human connection releases that 
adrenaline again is one that's good for if you're running a race but actually if you get that fear running through you and adrenaline starts pumping then that's not very healthy for you either so in a way when companies companies understood all this it would it would lead into their health and safety and about how they need to look after their people but why scientifically evidently proved why they actually have to do it which i think is very very different yeah i agree and if the why is big enough they'll find the how yeah, exactly. What to do. When I talk about stress, I talk about imagining an elastic band around your hands. You've got your hands together as if you're praying with an elastic band around it. And if it's just sat there, it's doing nothing. So like you say, you need some of it to get out of bed. Yeah. But then you start to pull your hands apart and it gets tauter and tauter. And so it needs an optimum level to do its job but to not stretch you so far that even without an elastic band around my hands right now, I'm already scared that it's going to ping and break. I've got that running right through me right now. And that's where we live. We're all living with this expanded elastic band. And I think the trick is to recognize when's it going off? When's that band about to ping? What's caused it? What's put you in that place? What are your mechanisms for getting out of it? Like you say, go for a walk, just leave the room. Go on to your chat GBT and find a joke. They're so yeah. awful, it'll make you laugh anyway. That reflection piece teaches you what your triggers are. It's not a luxury to sit down and think what's good, what's not, what can yeah. I do differently, what should I carry on doing. Yeah. I've written down three questions from just our discussions today. The what went well. <laughs> what did I learn from that? Yeah. What else can I see here? So especially yeah. if we're really stressed, you know, is there another way of looking at it? That was going that that one came out really when we were looking at the uh, confirmation bias that we have. So just a force, different perspective, different lens going on something. The other thing that we haven't talked about is physiology. Mm. The way that we hold our, hold our body is a massive, massive thing. So if you look around at a table of people or you'll see a lot of people with their arms crossed, kind of like almost like hiding under the table as though they don't want to be seen. So they're almost like a little mouse. Now, you imagine if you just do that right now, sitting like that, you lose all your confidence. You kind of, you don't want to be seen. You're not feeling very bold or brave. But if you're sitting very calm and relaxed and open, A, you're breathing better. So you're breathing from your diaphragm anyway, which is much, much healthier for you. But your your whole body changes. So your physiology is a big, big thing. You can change your mood like that by changing your physiology. You know, smiling. You may not feel like smiling. Put a pen in your mouth. You have to smile. And you're you're sending a different signal to your brain. It's just probably something we don't use enough, actually. We're not aware of what we're doing with our body. And for those of us that work remotely, we're stuck. We go into our place of work, whether we're lucky enough to have an office or you clear the table, the dining room table, and you pop your laptop on there and you're sitting in a chair for however long you've got meetings, often back to back. Yeah, you're much more formal. Mm. It's not so comfortable, is it? Your elbows in the desk are not opened up. You're not breathing properly in a way. You're stifling your breathing. And do you think also when we're on Zoom or when Teams, whatever it is, that we've actually started learning how to sense how someone's feeling. Maybe it's those subconscious things, the way they're sitting, the way they're holding themselves, the way they're looking at the camera. Those are all little signals that we're picking up. Well, I learned to do these submodalities quite a few years ago when I did the neurolinguistic programming training. Yeah. 
you're very aware that you're looking out for it in an in-person scenario. And I, and I know I've said this before, but when I first started using Zoom, I was blown away by how much more amplified that was for me on a screen because you're not even with the person. So it's not like you're picking up on that energy, but it comes through, it radiates through the screen. Yeah. For example, you can notice a change in skin tone and you can notice the eyes are much more noticeable. What's going on with their eyes? You know, are they lightening up? Are they glazing? Are they not glazing over? I'd like to say they're yeah. not bored. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you just I just notice more or the lip tightens when they're getting a bit nervous or yeah. it just seems to be more prominent because it's okay to stare at somebody that long yeah. when you've got them on a screen. It's not rude, is it? If you're in a team and perhaps you've got somebody who is quite shy and doesn't like speaking up, you can probably watch their body language and work out that they may want to say something or they're feeling a bit nervous or whatever. And it's almost a courtesy to be nice to people and go, hold on a sec, I think I think so-and-so wants to say something. Do you want to share it with us? You know, not threatening me, not putting them in the spot but just recognising they're there and they may want to say something. I suppose good leaders and good managers will always do that, or just good people do that. Some people don't notice really big, obvious change. Yeah. Like someone's left the room and come back in a different colour top. Yeah. People don't notice that, whereas we're noticing skin tone. Yeah. You want to know more about what's going on with Brainy Podcasts? packed with how-tos and general resources, go to our website, brainycast.com.